Conversations with inspiring women about their stories and the neon colours that they have to share. This is the Neon Woman Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Neon Woman Podcast. My guest this week is Marsha Van Weinsberg. Marsha joins me to discuss her origin story, her journey through the world, and what happened when she started to own her own choices and support her own healing. This choice stemmed from an experience she had dealing with teen substance abuse in her family, and how she tried to simultaneously hide from the world, but also fight to get others to change. And through this dark time, she decided to support herself and her healing and her choices. And in doing that, she was able to help others heal and make their own choices too. Marsha also joins me to discuss what it means to be a neon woman and so much more. I really hope you love this conversation. I found it so inspiring and I hope you do too. Here it is. Just a trigger warning before we begin. This episode does contain some discussion of substance abuse. Marsha, welcome to the New Old Woman podcast. I'm excited to chat to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I like to start with the same question for everyone mm-hmm. because I feel like we're all known in the world for what we do. But I would like to know who is Marsha in the world aside from what you do? Mm, aside from what I do. I am a feisty, redheaded um, soul who loves to fight for people who don't always like to speak up for themselves. Like I love to be that voice, but I have a really big heart and I'm a big softy when it comes down to it. I love the underdog. I love dogs, period. I love my dog. I love nature and I just love um, learning. That's, that's a big part of me. I'm really learning to embrace more of my feminine side as I get older, which has taken me most of my lifetime to learn. So that is a piece of me that is really growing and it feels really good. Mm, Yeah. The feminine side of us, I think is very hard to embody. My heart is not, heart is an understatement. It's, it's funny because I think I'm really recognizing this, especially over the last few months. It's like, we're fighting ourselves. It's mm-hmm. we're not fighting. It's different because, you know, some of us are advocates and we like to, you know, we do, we do things that we want to do and make a difference and we're not fighting the world. We're fighting ourselves. And so mm-hmm. learning to decondition, let go of that push mode mentality and really embrace more of the feminine side I would love to say it's been a smooth road. It's not, but I do, I do appreciate it as I'm learning more about it. I love that. Well, let's start with your origin story because I believe our upbringings shape the paths that we go down, but also the ones we choose to not go down as well. Mm. Yes, very good. I grew up in the 70s and so I'm proudly 52 and I can say that in that time, you know, I watched my mom work full time. Um, my dad worked as well, but that was a time of kids not being heard, right. Seen, not being heard. Don't speak. Don't, 
Um, and so I heard many times when I was younger that it's too much. Why do you have to be too much, too loud, too question? And I just, I was, I was that kid that questioned a lot of things. And I grew up in a time where that was not always accepted. And, but I, I was feisty and that's literally who, who, who I was then. My parents worked very hard. They were, this was a very much um, the beginning of a, you know, I don't say blue collar, but it was blue collar time. And when a majority of the jobs were, there wasn't a lot of other, other jobs available at that time. And later on, my dad went to start his own business and did, did very well for they, for themselves, but he worked hard. And the mentality, I think that I was always taught at that time was, you know, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. That was the origin story that I think to be completely honest, I'm just learning to trust that it doesn't mean hard work. Doesn't mean work yourself to the bone and burn out three times a year. That's not mm -hmm. what hard work means. And that's a piece that I know it goes back to what I learned and I don't begrudge them because that was the time. And that's really what the reality was, but I'm really starting to unpack and learn that that's not necessarily how it has to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think we're almost conditioned to burn out, like to just work hard and burn out. It's a badge of honor. It's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's, I think for years I wore it as a badge of honor. And it's so funny because I used to get so mad at myself thinking like, why are you burnt out? Like, why can't you just do more? When in all honesty, I can look at it now and go, I was probably doing three times the work that some other people were, and it still wasn't enough. So really at the core of that work hard burnout is almost a mentality of hustling for worth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this podcast is all about the neon colors that women have to share with the world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes our colors get dimmed for various reasons. Mm -hmm. I would like to know if you have a story about when your neon colors were dimmed and what your journey was to brighten them again. I absolutely love the concept of what you do with your show because I think that there's a lot to be said about shining our light. And I believe in the peace on shining our light. And I often think back to like the Marion Williams Williamson quote. It's not like, it's not our brightness. It's our, or it's not our darkness. It's our brightness that, mm -hmm. that scares us. It's that fear of success. And so when I was growing up again, I was very, I was told it was too much. And those, those things that you're being told all the time can dim you down. And what would happen is it, it would lead me into the space of being that fighter, that pusher, do it by myself, the perfectionist, which worked for a really long time. And then it didn't <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think when, I think what happens is there comes a point where our strengths become our weakness. And that's, we have to learn that we have to look at things a different way or else we don't survive. And when I went through a time, our family went through a time where we dealt with teen substance abuse and that was not on the plan. That was not what we thought we would be. Nobody signs up for that. Mm -hmm. And I know I dimmed in a really scary way. As I say that we, you know, we tend to hold that armor up to protect us because we think we're protecting the pain, but we're literally blocking everything. And eventually I got to this space where the armor was like, a, I was a turtle under the, uh, under the armor, because that was me protecting myself. But then it became very isolating and the problems were still there. And I felt very alone and I had no voice. 
and definitely no light. There was no question. I didn't want, I did everything possible to keep the light off of us because I didn't want to be seen at that time. And ironically, it took getting to the space of almost being in the turtle shell of recognizing that this is not a solution. This is not working. And being the fighter to try and fix everything is not working. And so I really came to the space of surrender, which when you're spend your life as a fighter, surrender just doesn't make sense because it feels like quitting. Yeah. It did feel like quitting. And I had to recognize and learn that I think you really only understand surrender when it's the only option you have left. There was no other option. And I learned that I did a ton of personal work and a ton of support and I started to find my voice. And when I found my voice, I started to reach out and speak and, you know, go into support groups and go into Facebook groups and work with counselors and work with the school. And before I knew it, I was actually sharing our story from my perspective as a parent and finding my voice. And when I found my voice, I knew what I was doing was I was giving others permission to speak and share a story too. And so the piece on the light, I think is really beautiful because so many people say, but I don't want the light on me. Like, I don't want the light on me. And I don't actually think it's on you. I think it shines through you. And I think you become the light for someone else. And that's like, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, going from dim to shining again. And so through a number of years of work and, um, two podcasts, speaking on stages, multiple published books, which all of that came from the worst experience of my life. It has allowed me to really step into a space of trusting my voice and using my voice and knowing that with the intention that I can do some really good things in this world. And that, that lights me up in ways that I don't think I could have ever planned on. And so I love the phrase about like shining your light. And when I sign books, that's one of the first things I always write is like, always remember to shine your light. Someone is looking for your light. And when you can shine it, it's you find purpose and you have reach and, you know, you just meaning in your life that you get to create when you do that. Yeah. And sometimes in our darkest times, we, we discover our true purpose or the way we're meant to shine brightly in the world and without that dark or dim experience we might not have found it It, isn't that that is the 100 truth we resist the dark we don't want the dark we don't like it it's scary but we can look back and i've done it every time i look back and i'm like never ever ever would i have ever imagined that i would be doing the work that i get to do today it is a hundred times more fulfilling than the work i ever did And I'm a different person because of it. And I actually like myself more now as a person than I did then, because I was very much the fighter who did life alone. Mm -hmm. I did life alone. And that was very, you know, because what would it look like if I have to reach out and say I'm struggling? And now I, I have really vulnerability is a big part of my, my story, my experience and how I support others, because when we can learn how to do that, we can build the connections that we get to have. And now I have incredibly like way more meaningful relationships in my life because of it. And it all came from the worst experience I couldn't have, that I didn't want. I didn't want it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, out of that experience, you wrote a book called Mm -hmm. when she stopped asking why. Could you talk a little bit about the book itself and what the writing process was like 
because the absolutely. subject matter was obviously very close to home. Yeah, absolutely. I I wrote two collab three collaborative chapters, and I was almost getting this writing bug that I felt like, hmm, I think I'm supposed to do this. Like I don't, my intuition is saying keep going. And I remember saying to my husband, I think I want to write my own book. And he's like, are you sure you want to do that? Like that's a, not to discourage just in it. Like you sure you want to, because it's, it's vulnerable. It's very, very vulnerable. And it's a story about me. I felt a very deep intuition pull to write that story and to share that story because at the core, I felt like if I could make something good out of what we had lived through, then it made it, I don't want to say worth it, but it made it easier and it made it know that there was a purpose behind it. So I actually had been writing at that point for probably about a year and a half. And a friend said to me, I think you need to find a, you know, a publisher, a self-publisher who can support you. And I said, it's not even close to a book but I sent it to her and she looked at it and she's like, it's actually not that far off than what you think. So we started to, to work on it. And I started in January of 2017, really doing the writing and it went to edits in May and then it was published in November. So I can say wholeheartedly that for that entire year, I did work full time, but that was the, that was my number one thing I did was the book. Mm-hmm. And that's editing that is sharing And every time I felt like, okay, that was, that's vulnerable enough. The publisher would read it and she's like, no, you got to dig a little bit more, Marcia. You have to dig a little bit more because, and I share this now, a lot of the mistakes we make when it comes to writing is even though we're sharing a vulnerable story, we think it's about us. It still isn't. It's always about the reader and what's Mm -hmm. the reader going to take away. And because we are a world of what's in it for us, right? That's just who we are. And so it has to be for the reader. And so even when you're sharing a vulnerable story, you don't have to give all the details, but the more you can let yourself be a mirror and share the experiences and the lessons and the things that you have learned, someone else will see themselves in your story. And that's literally how it's happened. I've connected with people from all over the world who don't have the same story as me at all, but they recognize and relate to the feelings and emotions. I went through a very serious vulnerability hangover afterwards, like very, it was very, it was a lot actually. And it's interesting if I can share this piece, I would say, yes, it was a vulnerability hangover, but it was more of a challenge in learning to receive because Mm -hmm. I was getting bombarded with messages from strangers, which is exactly why I wrote it. Like to be real, I wrote it for people I didn't know. But I didn't know how to take all that in. And it was a lot. And it, it went to bestseller, but it was featured in news stories. It was featured in, it, it it didn't go small. And to this day, I still, for whatever reason, I still get Kindle payments and almost always from Japan. So I don't know why. <laughs> Every month I get notifications. So it's, it's an experience that um, the other piece I want to say about it is that when you feel called to write a book, especially if it's a vulnerable story, you have to know what your intentions are for doing it. And I really felt like I could support somebody who had never walked in my shoes before. But when I declared I was going to write my story, my husband was probably the only person who was like, that's a good idea. You can do that. My family, extended family, taking it back to the beginning of your oranges and story, I can say I didn't have a ton of support. And I say that with love. I really didn't. Um, and I understand now it's because everyone was scared what I was going to say. Mm. 
Yeah. I think so many people were afraid. What was I going to say? And it wasn't until people started to read it that they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you shared so much. And there was a story of, you know, it was almost done. And my sister read it. And my sister was like, you're missing a story of when you were 12. I was, I went through an assault experience at 12 years old. And I said, I can't put that in there like that. What does that have to do with anything? And I'm so grateful for her because she said, are you kidding? It has everything to do with it. You were an advocate at 12 years old. You have been an advocate your entire life. You spoke up against a difficult situation. And back then it was a no talk situation, right? Like my parents mm -hmm. were like, we're done. Police are done. We don't talk about this anymore. Done, yeah. gone. And so all of that, I feel like I that book allowed me to unpack so much of my life and see it differently and recognize that I've literally been on this journey for 52 years and it all adds up. And all of those experiences made me who I am. And I've learned to come and be at a place of peace with them. That's such a powerful story. Like the writing of a book can just uncover how you've always been an advocate. It's so powerful. I, I didn't realize it until I started to really unpack it. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've spent my whole life as an advocate. So as an advocate, an advocate uses their voice. They shine, they speak up, they, they do those things. And so in that time, when I got quiet and I really hid and shame took over, that wasn't me. That was me not knowing how to manage everyone else's opinions and judgments and criticisms and once I started to be me again and let myself shine, I had no time for what anyone else was saying. I didn't mm -hmm. care because I actually didn't care, to be honest, because my message was reaching people that I had never met before. And that was more important to me than, you know, Joe's opinion down the street. It just didn't matter anymore. Yeah. It was freeing, very freeing experience. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a platform called Everybody Holds a Story. Can you share how this started and whether the writing of your book kind of was the initial inspiration for the platform? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. And it's a great question because I have two podcasts. One is called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life, because learning to own my choices is where my life really changed. And <clears throat> pardon me, the second podcast is Everybody Holds a Story. And that is becoming its own platform. And we just published a book, a collaborative book of body stories. And where did that come from? It came from me spending four plus years, five years coaching people how to own their stories and share them. But what I didn't understand, and I mean, we're always all learning is that we hold trauma in our bodies and you mm -hmm. can't just mentally be in a space of like, think better thoughts and, you know, change the story. And I, of course, had to be the student and learn that. And in 2020, during the pandemic, I had to be the advocate, fight for my own health in a way that I couldn't get medical care. And it turned out that, you know, after multiple canceled appointments, which lots of people went through, um, when they finally did do an MRI on my back, they found out that it was like within 12 hours, they called the hospital called. I was there. I was having to go in meeting a surgeon ended up with a very serious, um, surgery where they rebuilt my spine, um, five vertebrae with titanium. And I, it was a, it was, it was a very, 
it was a very scary time in my life. And that's where this platform came from is everybody holds a story because a friend of mine, my co-host and podcast host, Sue, she was at that time, a myofascial um, massage therapist, and she was doing work on me. We didn't know what the problem was because we couldn't get any tests done, but there were times I could barely walk and I'm healthy. So it didn't make any sense. And I didn't hurt myself. And as she was working with my fascia, she was like, you know, you've had, I've had, I'd had 12 abdominal surgeries at that time. And then I had this back surgery and she said the words, she goes, you know what? Everybody does hold a story. And I just went, oh my gosh, that you hold on to that idea. And we started a podcast and then decided to write a collaborative book. And now it's branching into our second volume of collaborative stories and brain health, as well as solo books, sharing vulnerable stories. I mean, it all came from the experience I was walking through. That's just the most, there's no other way to say it. It was like, I walked through it and I went, this is important. And I wanted to do something with it. So between us, that's what we've done. And this book has stories of, you know, domestic violence and assault and child loss and endometriosis and cancer. And these women have done unbelievable unbelievable jobs of sharing their stories and how they came through it. And I'm just, I'm just grateful because this is the work I know I'm meant to do. And I like to do, and I I've watched these people continue to just build so much freedom from their stories. That's amazing. Have you read The Body Keeps the Score? Oh, yes. 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 Such and I actually book. made a list of that. That's what I want to go back to again very shortly because when I was going through my back surgery, I, I started to read that book and it was like, you really start to understand that if this is too much information, but I really do believe that the trauma I experienced at 12 is probably been a catalyst issue in my entire life because at that time, again, nothing was, we were just constantly told, like, we don't talk about stuff like that. And like, well, and you know what? It's, it's, it's unfortunate, but that was the message I was told. We don't talk about it. So in my brain, it's like, well, that's bad. I can't speak on that. And we, so that's bad. We don't talk about it. And I buried it. And physically and physiologically, that trauma is trapped in your body. And I understand that now. And I realize we all have a lot of work to do with that work never stops. But I do think there is something very powerful about opening up, being vulnerable and sharing our real selves, our real stories and showing others how to do it. Because the sooner we can do that and release shame, we're not holding on to it. And that's a way and a process of helping us to deal with trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Well, something you teach is the power of owning your choices and what you call radical responsibility. Can you talk about that? Because I think I think it can be confronting to own your choices and your decisions. It's very confronting and it can be a bit of a trigger for some people, which is all the more reason I do like to use it because it's it's a bit of an in-your-face thinking but it worked for me. And that's why I do share it. When we were at the peak time of dealing with substance abuse and our kids, my brain as a mom was trying to fix, manage and control everything. And I was trying to make it go away, just make it stop, make it go away. And I couldn't find a solution. And no matter what I did, every single thing I did, it only got worse and it didn't change their situation. And it almost killed me. And a counselor said to me, 
if they decide to come back to you, you need to be a springboard and you're a pile of quicksand. You couldn't save anyone. You can't save yourself right now. Mm-hmm. And that became a, okay, that's true actually. And so I started to use mantras every day. I mean, let forget day, multiple times an hour, something would happen. And I would say, wait, that's not my choice. That's not my choice. That's not my choice. And it was like recognizing that what is my choice? What is my choice? Because we do spend a lot of time being angry and frustrated that no one is coming to help or no one is knowing what we need or no one is stepping in, but no one else is supposed to, we're actually supposed to lead ourselves. And so I started to be in a space of like radical responsibility. It's like taking radical responsibility for myself. My health had declined completely. I, I, I probably didn't sleep much more than like 20 minutes at a time. PTSD was huge. My nervous system was a mess. Regardless of what they did or didn't do next, that was up to me to change that. And that's what radical responsibility was. So it was everything from what do I need to make it through today? What do I need to make it through this experience, this moment? Is it a podcast? Is it, you know, YouTube video, whatever understanding I did listen to a lot of Tony Robbins then. And I'm just understanding that my state, how can I elevate my state, even like one level and one level. And when I can elevate it to a different state, I can make a better decision. I, the more I did that, I stopped reacting to life and I responded. And that was a very different energy. And I just kept every single day, like owning my choices on my choices. And when I started the podcast in 2017, that was those words changed my life. And they have literally been the platform for everything that I do. And my kids are phenomenal. They're like, love them to pieces. They're grown men now. And they've done incredible things with their life. And what they had to, they had to choose to do that too. So I couldn't make that happen. I didn't know it at the time, but the best thing I could have done was take care of me to be the best version of me, show that I'm responsible for me because that's ultimately what they had to do. Yeah. Whether you deal with substance abuse or not, just with kids in general, they have to make those choices because they're creating their life. And that is the blessing that I did. I never knew at the time. I was just trying to find a way to survive. Yeah. When things get hard, there's a need to control and control every aspect of a situation. But like you said at the beginning, if you surrender and just choose yourself and own what you choose about yourself and the decisions you make that's all you can do it it's the only thing you can do and i i 100 in believe in the words of own your choices own your life radical responsibility and self-leadership i have to say self-leadership because it's like it there are times where i look at myself and i'm like oh you are not leading yourself right now like what are you doing but we have to be able to do that without shame right? It's not like, oh, look at you, let yourself go again. You're not doing, that's not, that's not helpful. But self-leadership is, am I doing what I need for me? Am I actually like, am I drinking the water? Am I sleeping? Am I doing things that help me to feel better and fill my cup? Because it's not anyone else's responsibility. It's mine. And the piece of that self-care that, you know, we always talk about filling the cup to overflow. We serve others from the overflow, but every day is a brand new cup. You know, yeah. I can kill it one day. I can, but that cup starts over the next day, the exact same way. 
and we choose what we put in it and the responsibilities that are there. And as women, we, it's, it's not easy to ask for help. It's not always easy to receive. It's, we do that. We can block ourselves. So those are the pieces that I like to refer to that. It's just, it's my responsibility to lead myself. It's their responsibility to lead themselves. And I used to say, if your life isn't where you want it to be right now, maybe you're just one choice away from make, having a different life. And I do believe that. I believe that for everyone that we can create change by stacking a single choice on top of each other. 100%. I have one more question before we get to the bonus questions. Okay. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself through all the different seasons of your life? Hmm. Wow, what a great question. Um, one of... The, that I could let go of the shell that I had for so many years. I'm going to, that one just hit me. And so thank you for that question. I had a tough as nails shell for years. Now I, like I said, I still have that fighter and advocate. She's there, but I lived with that shell and I reacted to life and I fought everything, even if it wasn't my fight. And I look at myself now and it's so much lighter, so much more freeing and so much more enjoyable. Like I found joy in life that I, if you would have asked me years ago, I don't know where that was because I didn't make time for it. I didn't allow it. And I just put that wall up. So I think that's one of the most surprising things is I know I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago. Well, probably than I was even last year, but 10 years and 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 longer and we can change and evolve. And I think that's one of the most surprising things. I had somebody say that to me not that long ago. They're like, you are a completely different person. And I said, I know it's great, isn't it? Because this is just so much better than the way I was doing it before. Yeah, absolutely. And we're meant to change and evolve and grow. Mm -hmm. Even if we, we resist it, even yes. when we resist <laughs> it. Yes, yes. Well, let's get into the bonus questions. I ask every guest the same ones. Okay. I have a playlist on Spotify and every podcast guest adds a song. So my first question is, what's the one song you play to brighten your neon colors? Hmm. Okay. So I play Foo Fighters and it is the best of you because the lyrics in that hit me every single time. Great choice. I love that song. My, one of my favorites. And I literally will just crank it in the house and it's my job to bring the best of me. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I'll add it to the playlist. What about love is wild to you? What about love is wild to me? Ah, uh, that it's a dance. Let me go with this answer. It's a dance back and forth. And it's the way love works is, is a mix and a dance of giving and receiving, asking and not, not taking, asking and receiving, you know, doing thoughtful things for someone else. Um, my husband, it's a, it's a dance. We have this dance all the time that I, I just love. And I think it's hilarious. We have a great sense of humor. I think that's incredibly important. And, um, but I do think, I think it's a dance of giving and receiving and not keeping a score sheet or tally of who's doing what for the other more giving and just giving and receiving. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. What about your fashion sense is original? <laughs> oh, um, I love what's original. It's, oh my gosh, that's so funny. 
people joke all the time, then you can probably find me in a hoodie and a, um, like a Lululemon. I'm a very comfy, very simple. I'm very simple. Um, I really am. And I actually just spoke on stage, um, at a big event two weeks ago. And it was funny because I didn't have a clue. I'm like, okay, somebody said, you're going to wear a dress. I'm like, Oh God, like I don't, it's just not me. And it's so funny because I got to this space where everybody was making these suggestions of what to wear. And I was like, you know what, if I walk on that stage with anything, that's not me, it's going to show and I'm going to feel it. So I found a really cute little leather coat, a plain sweater, jeans, and like running shoes. I felt so good because it was me. And I think I that's that. that permission to do it. Cause some people were very dressed up. My husband looked at me and he goes, that's you. That's totally you to a T. And you know what? Why can't we allow that to be? And so yeah. that's, yeah, that's my branched out fashion sense. Amazing. What do you do to keep your mindset magnificent? Mm, it's work every day. I'm going to say it's, it is, if people could see how much I, I coach myself on a daily basis, they might be shocked. Um, I start the day with, I have a morning kickstart playlist that I play, like, even when I groggily wake up, put the headphone in and I listen to it on repeat. It's an Abraham Hicks and a Joe Dispenza. That is, I sometimes I'll listen to that twice and that might be an hour. I have subliminals. I'm a master practitioner for NLP. So I've created different subliminals and hypnosis for myself. I do breath work probably twice a day and I like to journal and I don't always journal, but I do like to journal and I will sometimes pull cards when my mindset is going. I, I also listen to podcasts, but when my mindset is in a little bit of a teeter totter back and forth, I just go back to basics again, back to leadership, back to ownership. What am I doing? What am I not doing? And it's like, you know what? We don't need to go on social media until some of these things are done. Mm -hmm. So I'm I think the other big piece that I do for mindset is I recognize when I'm doing mindless work and it's like, no, I put boundaries on, I put boundaries on and I'll just, I won't answer and I leave it and it feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Where is the most adventurous place you've traveled to? Mm, I'm going to have to say Hawaii. We did a, we did a cruise to Hawaii with the family and we did a number of different excursions. And one of them was rappelling down a waterfall, which I don't know if I would ever do again. Cause it was very, I slipped and went upside down and was like <gasps> drinking a fire hose. Speaking of surrender, I kicked and screamed while I was upside down hanging with the water. And all I could think is this is not how you're going out. And I had to let go. And in letting go, I was able to pull myself back through. But that was a very adventurous experience for me. And yeah, but fun. Sounds terrifying, but it was, I will never do it again. But it... <laughs> what is necessary to you to have a healthy lifestyle? And I put the word healthy in quotes because the word can mean different things. Routine. I, I, that's the first thing I'm going to say is routine for me. Um, I have a morning and a nighttime routine that I don't always waver too much from. And so we just got back from traveling for two weeks and I love the full experience. Like I love having the fun, but I did. I love coming back to my bed. I loved having my nighttime routines. And so I think one of the things that I know I need is, is that I can step outside of that and do other things. And I love the extrovert piece. 
but deep at the core, the introvert needs to recharge. She -hmm. needs to recharge regularly. And when I give on a big, as I said, I just spoke on a stage. I know for me, the next few days after we're like, let's just tone it back down and bring that energy back in and recharge. So I know I need recharge on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which woman or women are inspirational to you? They can be famous or non-famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say Brene Brown because I went listening to her Ted talk on vulnerability. I really found, um, understanding what vulnerability was understanding that how courageous it was and that it wasn't weakness. And it really opened me up to start to share a story. Um, and a number, so many other women that I adore and have learned so much from mentors, coaches, authors that I just look at. And I, I love learning from women who've gone before me. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Brene Brown is great. Yeah, I absolutely. My last question. What does being a neon woman mean to you? Mm. I think being a neon woman, and I love this question. I think being a neon woman is like owning your own neon colors and letting them shine. Like owning what they are. You want to be, some days it's pink and it's like green or it's orange. Let it be and let it shine. Because we spend too much time trying to be for everyone and we're never supposed to be. We're actually not supposed to be for everyone. So I think when we learn to let our selves shine for who we are and love who we are, like appreciate those parts of ourselves, when we shine, the right people find us. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly, the people that will find us are looking for us. And they can't find us if we don't go first and if we don't continue to shine. So that's, I think it means loving who you are, letting those colors shine and owning them and being unapologetic about it. Yeah, I love that answer. Do you love poetry? Have you ever just wanted a little bit of inspiration to start your day? A Poem a Day by Lo Mackett is that magical book of inspiration you've been looking for. One poem a day for every day of the year. Available now on Amazon. Go and get your copy today. For more information, go to lowmacket.com or neonwoman.com. Marsha, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Where can people buy your book, listen to your podcasts? Tell me all the links. Beautiful. I thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I've I've loved you've had great questions. I um, made life very easy for a lot of people because I have a very long last name, Van Weinsberg. <laughs> so if you start typing Marsha Van W, V-A-N-W on Google, all of it comes up. So whether it's like Instagram, Facebook, um, TikTok, it's like all there. My podcast is Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. That's my website is Marsha Van W. And you can find any of the books on Amazon. They are available. Wonderful. Same thing with the name. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Neon Woman podcast, a Neon Network production. Follow Neon Woman on Instagram and Facebook or check out neonwoman.com for all the latest episodes and so much more. Thanks for listening.